Macworld Podcast number 441 for January 21st, 2015. Brought to you by Harry's, a great shave at an affordable price and zero beautiful accounting software. Welcome to another Macworld Podcast. I'm Chris Breen. And of course, joining me this week is Susie Oaks. Hey, Susie. Hi, Chris. How's it going? It's going well, uh, except I'm a little depressed. What's wrong? Well, I heard that Google Glass is going the way of the dodo. Yeah, at least the Explorer edition, which means the not final one that they've been selling for two years to people who are willing to spend $1,600 on something that isn't the final product. Right. So, okay, so the Explorers are now <laughs> basically been shipwrecked and left on a desert <laughs> island and everybody has sailed away from them. So who can get the things still, right? Or what? what is the, the progress of this just, thing? I think it's just, it's kind of on ice and they're going to figure out which one, you know, like it sounded like they, they were stopping the Explorer edition and that we're all just kind of waiting now for them to come out with the real one that's meant for people to buy and wear. So I don't know what the difference would be between that and the, the Explorer one for a while. You had to apply and kind of like prove to Google that you were cool enough to help them with their grand ex experiment and you'd give them lots of feedback and stuff um, and you would use it for cool things. But yeah, I don't know. They're not going to do that anymore. So, but eventually maybe we'll see these just in stores. I don't know. I don't think it's time has really come yet. Yeah, I think what I've read is um, Tony Fidel, who is credited as the father of the iPod and That's worked a lot right. on the iPhone at Apple, went off and he founded Nest, and then Google acquired Nest. And uh, so we have all this cool smart technology in our house. And uh, so now I think Google has turned to him and said, Tony, you know, <laughs> we're just not really killing it with the whole Google Glass thing. You make things people like. You make things people like. So please, could you make people like this? Because people don't appear to. Um, and neither one of us have, have used Google Glass. We're not explorers. Um, we are outsiders looking in um, and being filmed while we do it, apparently. So, and that, I think that's the PR problem with Google Glass. I think a lot of people don't trust it. They see people wearing these things, and it's obvious that they are because they're very distinctive looking. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people said, you know, this is a step too far. I don't like the idea of somebody with a camera on their face looking at me and talking to me where they could be recording. And Google, of course, said, no, no, no. You would see a red recording light. And of course, our users would never do such a terrible thing. I don't think anybody was sold on that. I think they thought it was too much. Uh, the potential for people wearing this everywhere was not a great idea because they could capture things in, in a variety of ways. Uh, movie theater owners certainly weren't happy about it because they threw people out or people concerned about um, folks driving with these things on thought, well, they would be a distraction. So that's not good either. So what message can they possibly provide with the Tony Fidel sheen that's going to make these things work? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, they could try to focus it on enterprise where, you know, people in warehouses would be using this or customer service people that are interfacing with the public and still need to be, you know, looking up information kind of on the sly. Um, they, they could try to send it that way because, you know, it would be less creepy then and... Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, so Google I.O. is in late June this year. So if they don't mention it at Google I.O., that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a bad sign. And like people who already bought the Explorers aren't going to be getting software updates. 
So that's a problem. But um, if, you know, they announced the new shipping version and, and they've been working on it and they've, you know, figured out like what, what it's for and who needs it and a way to sell it, then then great. Um, you know, it'll, it'll live on. But yeah, I mean, I was just at CES and, you know, there were like 20,000 people walking around and I saw like five of them wearing Google Glass. Oh, really? Yeah, a few of the other tech people, uh, journalists were talking about like, why isn't anyone wearing Google Glass at this thing? We saw like the same four people wearing it again and again. So, yeah, I don't know. It's not, it, it, it doesn't even seem, I don't see people in San Francisco wearing them that much anymore. Um, but I think part of the problem is kind of Google's lack of transparency around the plan. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a lot to ask for people that you know to buy this thing that isn't the final product. And you know, like they they just shut down the Explore program because people were buying this two year old hardware and not really knowing like when if the, you know the real Google Glass was going to come a month from now or a year from now or never or what. So yeah, it's very strange, especially being an Apple fan and you know, they don't sell proof of concepts. They sell finished products. Mm-hmm. That's how they make their money is selling you hardware, so they're not going to release something that's like, you know, basically a beta. Yeah, so uh, I think the broader question is what does it say about the disconnect between developers and consumers? I think Google thought this was great, and they proposed several things like this, like the self-driving car. They said, "This is awesome. Everybody's going to want to do this." And and I think a lot of people said, "Well, no." Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Or they went in, they're going into the whole robots thing and they're going, yeah, I don't know if I want a domestic robot. I hear that doesn't work out so well, at least from the sci-fi novels I read. And it, so it seems to me that Google has taken every premise from a 1950s or 1960s sci-fi novel and gotten the wrong lesson from it, which is, <laughs> this is all awesome, but it's like they haven't finished the ha- last half of the book, which is where, no, it turns against humanity and <laughs> terrible things happen. And I don't think Google's the only one. Uh, Facebook does stuff that seems like this will be good. And then you look into it and go, wow, that's a little creepy. A lot of social networking is a little bit creepy. Is it just that developers are motivated by money because they're going to make money out of from advertising or from some other means that they're kind of pushing these efforts on consumers? Or do they really get it and say, no, we really see the future and you guys just need to kind of get over some of this stuff? Well, the examples that you gave of um, driving cars and robots and stuff, I mean, those are sort of things that sound really cool to people, but may have better applications in, you know, an enterprise or business setting. Mm -hmm. And when you think about Google's customers, like we use their products, but their customers are really kind of the businesses that they sell ads for and stuff. So maybe Google's kind of thinking about, you know, how else we can, you know, what other verticals, I guess, we can we can serve our business customers with while, you know, keeping the, the regular people being like, wow, cool, like driving cars and makes Google seem, you know, really cutting edge and mm-hmm. futuristic and with it. Um, but it's not really for us. Like, yeah, I'm not going to go buy a, a driving car, a self-driving car ever. And, you know, a, a robot, maybe if they get the one from the Jetsons, maybe. But <laughs> even then, I bet it would be really expensive. I bet it would too, but then you have to get the frilly apron accessory. Yeah, I feel that goes like Amazon would do that before Google would. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and the robot would go out and buy Amazon products and bring them to right. you. Yeah. Um, and then okay, so the next step then is the Apple Watch, an example of this, where it's a market that people aren't quite sure they need this device, and yet Apple's behind it saying, "No, this is going to be really cool." Just wait till you get it, and then ooh, you're, everybody's going to want it, and this is going to become uh, a thing instead of just like, eh, no, this isn't something we need. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's sort of like Google Glass and that it's not something that you really, really need. And it's going to be expensive and it's going to be kind of the early adopters who <laughs> adopt it first, right? Um, obviously. But yeah, I think it, that it's just different in that it's going to be a very final finished product. Um, and, you know, Apple keeps its, its buzzword for this is personal. It's the mm-hmm. most personal thing we have. So, so they're definitely, you know, thinking about the consumer and not about, you know, yeah, they, they want developers to develop for it, but I don't think this is like an early product for developers to, you know, sell them on the concept of a smartwatch. Like, we don't really need that, yeah. as, you know, in the same way that we need proof that, you know, a camera on your face, like, makes sense. So, like, people <laughs> people get smartwatches, they're around, they're already developing for them. So, so I yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know if that... If, I don't think the Apple Watch is going to be Apple's version of Google Glass. Yeah, well, and also it doesn't have the creepiness factor. So no. it, it may be much like people looked at the iPad and said, well, I don't know what I'd do with this. And mm-hmm. then, you know, then the iPad was a huge hit. And it's like, oh, now I know what to do with it. So I think it is one of those products where it's going to come out. People are going to look at it kind of cross-eyed for a while and go, yeah, and why do I need this? And then they'll use it and go, oh, now, yeah. I, now there's, I see where the niche is. And it might take a little while. Like it might yeah. take, you know, the first year of, you know, kind of using it for the basic things. And then we get some really good apps that really kind of make it more essential. Because right now it, it seems like it, it'll be a nice to have, but not a need to have. Yeah. But that's uh, good. We don't need another need to have. <laughs> yeah, but it's so hard to tell because yeah. often these things are that way. I don't think the iPhone was that way. I think the iPhone was like, ooh, this is totally different. I think the iPad was kind of like that way and, and the various iterations of it. But And this is the... It may be, you know, you you kind of have to wait till it happens and then use it and go, oh, yeah, got it. So yeah. who's it? who knows? We'll see. Um, before we get to the next thing, I'd like to talk a little bit about Harry's, which is a great shave at an affordable price. The holidays are over and here's the chance to start fresh and start making smarter decisions. For example, overpaying for drugstore razor blades is a bad habit and you should leave it behind. You can make the smart switch to Harry's. Harry's provides high-quality German-engineered blades that are crafted for sharpness and precision. They're half the price of big-name drugstore brands, and you get free shipping straight to your door. Harry's.com was started by two guys who were passionate about creating a better shaving experience. How passionate? Well, they were so passionate, they bought a blade factory in Germany that has been crafting some of the world's highest quality blades for almost a century. And by cutting out the middleman, they can offer an amazing shave at a fraction of the price of drugstore brands. Now, Harry's has been kind enough to send me one of their razors and several of their blades, plus some shaving cream and some other stuff. And I've been using it for maybe the last two months, and I really, really like it. I'm not a very careful shaver. I'm kind of impatient about it. And when I use Harry's stuff, I can just whack away at my face, and it comes out clean. I don't cut myself, and then I don't walk around with toilet paper stuck to my face all day, which is kind of a bad look. And I'm saving money. And you can, too. Their starter kit is just $15. That includes the razor, three blades, and your choice of Harry's shave cream or foaming shave gel. I actually kind of like the gel. Feels good, really smooth on my face, and my wife likes the smell. And as an added bonus, you can get $5 off your first purchase with our code MACWORLD. After using the code, you can get an entire month's worth of shaving for just $10. Shipping is free and satisfaction is guaranteed. So how do you get in on this? 
Go to harrys.com now, and Harry's will give you $5 off if you type in our code MACWORLD with your first purchase. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com, and enter the coupon code MACWORLD at checkout, and you get $5 off. And you can start shaving smarter today. And so that next thing is um, our good buddy John Moltz wrote a piece on Macworld yesterday about buying a PC. He bought a PC for his son. And um, it was kind of interesting to see. I think it's good for us as Mac users to see what that experience is like. Of course, John is biased because he's a Mac guy versus a not Mac guy. Um, but I wanted to talk about our own experiences a little bit. Uh, John found the experience pretty marginal you know the a lot of choices some of the stuff that they were offering was like you know this is for the gamer no but this is for the professional but how are they different they're not that much different certainly less expensive than what apple offers and then when you get it the thing's covered with stickers and it's kind of like yeah and then you've got the whole windows experience and the adware and all the other stuff they throw on there so um one have you ever purchased a pc and two what was your experience like um, I bought a, uh, I think it was a compact laptop at Best Buy when I was in college, and my dad was like, hey, I'll buy you a laptop, and we went down to Best Buy, and I just kind of grabbed one. Um, <laughs> and that was okay, because I was like, okay, we got to get this done today. Yeah. So I didn't do a lot of research. It was just like, okay, f hurry up and find one before he changes his mind. And that was like the first computer that I had owned. Um, and then I also bought a desktop from Dell at some point, but I think it was through like a company purchase program. So mm -hmm. it was also like, I knew I was getting a Dell and I just had to find the mix of features and price that would work for me. But yeah, it's crazy now. There's, there's so many manufacturers, you know, you're, you're an Apple fan, you're going to buy it from Apple and you don't have to worry about that at all. But yeah, I mean, he talks about how he, you know, figured out he should get a Lenovo and then, yeah, he goes to Lenovo's website and they have all these different configurations and they're like, these are for students, but these are for gamers. And he's like, well, you know, which, which would be the best for, for my son to play Minecraft with his friends? So yeah, it's weird. Um, if, if, if you don't uh, know what you want, it, it can be kind of confusing. Yeah, I've been tempted at various times, and I have purchased PCs throughout my computing life, mostly to play games early on, because there were so many more games for the PC than there were for the Mac, particularly during the dark days. And um, it was okay, but it was kind of, that's what I used the machine for, and I tried to avoid doing anything else on it, because if I did, I'd screw it up somehow, and I had no idea how to fix it, because I just am confounded by Windows. Um, the price is always tempting, though. You know, I go and I look yeah. at the configuration and go, wow, I can get all this, 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 that, that, and all these other parts here, and I can do it for about a third less than I'd pay for a Mac, and maybe I should try it again because Windows 7 isn't really so bad, but I don't want a Windows 8. And then I try it and I go, oh, yeah, this is why, again, I've gone back to the <laughs> Mac. Because the box, when it arrives, it's kind of, the stuff's kind of cheaply built, or it seems like it's cheaply built. I'm sure it's fine, but there's a lot of plastic. And as he said, lots of adware and apps you don't want bundled with a thing and stickers all over the thing. So you spend at least a day or two just getting rid of the junk you don't need if you can figure out how to do it. And then what you end up with is pretty, you know, decent hardware, but then this operating system that can be confusing and you have to worry about adware and spyware and viruses where I haven't put antivirus stuff on my Mac in years, uh, but I have to do it with a PC. 
And that bothers me that I, that I would have to do that sort of thing. So uh, I think we're both still firmly in the Apple camp. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting story. Like, I didn't even realize that when you bought a new Windows machine that it, it I knew it came with, you know, stuff installed on it because I remember that. But now, like, I guess they give you a license code for if you want to, the first, the very first thing you can do is, like, reinstall a fresh copy of Windows. And that just seems so like such a bummer, you know? Like, yeah, you get a fresh copy, it doesn't have anything installed, but that's the first thing you do with your new computer is you have to like, yeah. reinstall the OS. Like, that's just such a bummer. You know, I remember when the those get a Mac commercials and they had the guy like just jump out of the box and plug him in. Okay, now we're ready to go. Like, let's let's make it a web page. Let's make a movie. And yeah, having a reason to install the OS before you could even get started just to not be bothered with, you know, a bunch of crap is just disappointing. So, yeah, I mean, I think the thrust of his story was like, who's in charge of this, you know, experience? Like Lenovo's selling me this, that operating system is for Microsoft and no one's really no one's really got, you know, the whole thing to make it, you know, a smooth experience from from researching to purchasing to, you know, getting up and running. You're dealing with like a few different companies and, and no one really seems to care about the overall, you know, the overall end-to-end -end experience. Yeah, and I thought that was, that's kind of how he wrapped it up. And I did think it was interesting. There isn't like one company that just says, okay, we're going to be the Apple of the PC world. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to put junk on it. We're going to make sure you get a great install. It's really going to be solid machines. Yes, maybe it's more expensive, but you're getting a really great quality computer out of this and that's that's a wonderful yeah. thing and you can call us if you have questions with it yeah you know we, we're we're standing behind it the whole way like from before you buy it until after right exactly right okay um next thing is um apparently there's a rumored rumor going around which is surprising in this industry that we're in because i never hear people talking about rumored products but in this case uh people are talking about a rumored stylus that's going to come out for a rumored ipad pro now, years ago, Steve Jobs told us that if you create a tablet that requires a stylus, you're doing it wrong. Yep. And yet now everybody says, hmm, stylus, not a bad idea. <laughs> so what's changed and um, what's a stylus going to bring to the party that we don't already have? Yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. Um, so this is coming from a, an analyst report. So it's not, you know, from the supply chain or from, you know, some like nine to five Mac secret source or something. Um, and they said that it would be a larger screened iPad, so 12 inches diagonally um, over the 9.7 that we're used to now, and that the stylus would be optional. So, yeah, I don't know who, who they'd really be targeting it at. Like, there's already some, some really a wide range of styluses on the market. There's, you know, really little cheap ones that just kind of let you write as if you're writing with a pen and then there's mm -hmm. these like bluetooth fancy ones that are pressure sensitive and more like serious art tools so uh, you know i'd guess that apples would be more on the serious side and maybe they would they'd you know crack it somehow because the 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 ones that are out there now kind of have trouble with you know, precision and mm -hmm. getting it down to like just a, a pixel or two um you know, writing really thin lines. So so maybe there's something there and it would be, you know, for artists or 3D rendering or I'm, I'm not even sure. Like this, this one, this rumor has really got me confused because yeah, like they were really, really adamant about if you see a stylus, they blew it is what Steve said. Mm -hmm. And there's so many aftermarket ones that, you know, I, it's, they don't usually jump into the, these spaces where the aftermarket guys are you know already playing so i'm not i'm not sure what, what it'll be for do you have any ideas 
Well, I think it if it's going to be a thing, it has to be a relationship between the two devices so that the iPad Pro is aware of the stylus. And so it isn't kind of the stylus that we're aware of today, mm-hmm. where you're just usually using the thing as a more perci- precise finger. All right, because drawing with your finger is... I've seen great artists do it, but um, you really want to draw with a stylus if you're if you're you know not that kind of person who has really tiny pointed fingers that you put through a pencil sharpener. But if they develop a technology that the two talk to each other, so for example, one of the things they talked about was using it as a three D, so that you would jack this thing into your iPad with a cable or you could i suppose you could do it over wi-fi or bluetooth and then you could draw in the air instead of actually drawing on the surface itself oh, yeah. and then it would then be transferred over to your ipad and it would appear there so that's kind of interesting when you talk about drawing at the pixel level i think that would require the cooperation of ios and the ipad in order yeah. to do that so maybe that's where the market is where they say well nobody else can do that because we're keeping that feature for ourselves and if you need to work at the pixel level where you are that uh, drafts person or an artist and you need really, really, really fine control, we can give that to you. And that's what's going to make this pro. So it's a drafting tablet. It's much larger than it was before. So if you think of it as kind of a the greatest Wacom tablet in the world, which also serves as your computing device, maybe that's where the market is for this thing. I don't know how big a market that would be maybe there are plenty of people that would use that um you know photographers professional photographers could use that to do some of their editing on the go instead of having to use their fingers use a a tablet drafts people could certainly use it artists could certainly use it musicians could use it i mean there are plenty of times i work in music apps where i want really fine control and my finger doesn't provide it and if i can have a device that will grant me that access then yeah it's worth it for me to have something like that so Maybe there's something here. I think the market is a little niche, but then, you know, Adobe puts on huge conferences every year and there are plenty of people that use their products. So if a company like Adobe was behind it in league with Apple, there might be something there. Yeah, I mean, Adobe put out their their smart stylus last year. It's called the Ink, and um, it actually is connected to your Creative Cloud account as Mm -hmm. well. So it wouldn't even matter which iPad you were using. If you had your Ink pen, you could have, you know, all your templates and all your color palettes and all of your saved stuff. It's kind of saved in the pen. So if this is like a, a, a you know an iPad kind of aimed at pros, maybe they're thinking you know you can have some of your stuff sort of be portable, and the iPad would recognize you because it knows your pen. So you know you could share this with your team mm-hmm. and still have all your stuff there. Uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, so I'm not convinced that the rumor is as goofy as some people have made it out to be, and and I think they're using the Steve Jobs quote to say, well, Steve never would have done this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this is a different situation. What Steve was talking about is the old style Windows tablet, you had to use a stylus for everything because right. it didn't work with touch. This would be an enhancement to using with touch. So certainly it isn't going to require that you use only the stylus, but it could be used in certain work situations for a particular kind of user. So I will put this down as, yeah, I don't know, but it isn't entirely insane. Yeah, it's seeming less crazy than it was when I first heard about it. So. Yeah, right. And I think a lot of it was just the way people were framing it. Yeah. Oh yeah, well stupid idea. 
Really? Okay. Well, oh, no, actually, not terrible. Okay, so before we finish up, a word from Zero, which is beautiful accounting software. Zero, spelled X-E-R-O, is the online accounting software and platform for your small business. With Zero, it doesn't matter if your small business is brick and mortar or online. And that's because Zero was born and built in the cloud. This means that you can manage your accounting anytime, anywhere from your Mac, PC, iOS, or Android device. Sign up for a free 30-day trial at Zero.com slash podcasts to manage your invoicing and get paid faster, get an instant view of your cash flow, track your expenses on the go, and manage all of your financial reports. You can even collaborate with your accountant or bookkeeper in real time whenever you like. Zero seamlessly integrates with over 350 best-in-class business tools to process mobile payments, manage payroll, run your back office, and much more. It's no wonder that over 400,000 customers in more than 180 countries use Zero, And you can too. Sign up for a free 30-day trial at Zero.com slash podcasts. That's X-E-R-O dot com slash podcasts. And not only that, Zero randomly selects five people a month who have signed up to receive a mystery box of goodies called Zero Plus from a company that already swears by Zero. Zero, beautiful accounting software. Okay, and I want to close up with my very favorite topic, which is net neutrality. And uh, we've talked about this a bunch, but always something new happening on this front. And uh, so I think where we last left it was Tom Wheeler, who's the chairman of the FCC, was leaning toward Title II classification so that the carriers would be regulated uh, like utilities and they, there are certain things that they could not do and the FCC would have much more ability to control what they do. This came as a surprise because Tom Wheeler used to be a lobbyist for the carriers and we all thought, oh yeah, well he's just going to give in. Um, during that time, AT&T and other companies pulled some hijinks that basically threatened um, our broadband infrastructure and I think Tom stroked his chin and said, hmm, maybe I should think about this again. Um, and not long after that, he started throwing out the idea that maybe Title II wouldn't be such a bad idea. So why this matters to us is that carriers then would not be able to grant fast lanes for certain traffic and regular lanes, which would become slow lanes for other kinds of traffic. So in response, this week, um, House Republicans are drafting a bill to undercut that idea. So what they want to do is get in before Tom Wheeler has a chance to rule. And this would deny Title II status so it would say, no, you can't do that. No more Title II for them. And it also allows carriers to make reasonable, in quotes, changes to manage their networks. Now, that sounds perfectly fine. But to me, this sounds like somebody just opened a huge back door where the carriers could do exactly what they want to do. And then if somebody sues them later for being unreasonable, they're willing to take their chances and go to court. So it seems a way of kind of carrying on as we have with the carriers continuing to push the limits to the point where somebody steps in and tells them no. So that's my take. Any thoughts on that? So yeah, we want, we want it to be Title II. Like, that's good. And if Congress steps in before the FCC can rule, then just, just to tie their hands because they don't like the way it's going, then that would be bad. Right. Um, and I think that the president has already said 
you know, we ought to do Title II. He finally came out and said something about it. And so we, we know where he stands on it. So this would be the kind of thing that should the Republican Congress get it through, he'd probably veto it. Um, and I don't know how much time the House Republicans have to do this, because I think the FCC is going to rule on this in the next month. So they got to work fast. So what I really wonder is if it's a particular group of them whose palms are getting greased by the carriers who have to do something to continue getting the money to put into their campaign chests and just say, yeah, well, look, we tried, you know, we, we really, really tried, but sorry, you know, we just couldn't, couldn't manage it. Yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah, this, this whole thing is, I really hope they get it sorted out soon. The state of the union is Tuesday night, right? So maybe, maybe he'll mention something. Yeah, and and by the time this actually hits the website, it was uh, it was last night, and he, I, I don't he know, did he did or didn't mention he, it. He did or did not. I totally blew up our timeline. No, that's okay. We we admit <laughs> that we record this before the, it actually gets released. So yes, he the president spoke on this very subject or didn't, and <laughs> and it was great or it, it was nothing. awesome or upsetting. <laughs> awesome upsetting. Yeah, I, I don't know. Again, I'm, I know that I'm being cynical about this, but this seems like this has always been kind of an industry carrier's motivated thing that what consumers want is they just want to get their stuff. They just want to get their Netflix programming and they want to be able to download stuff and they don't want to keep paying higher fees to get more services. So that the point where this has turned into the airline industry, which is basically here, for this amount of money, we can give, offer you a terrible experience or... If you want to pay more, you can have this better experience. But what they really end up doing is they, they offer that to like Netflix and then Netflix passes on the charges to us. So either way, we're paying for this somehow and the carriers get away with um, with making more money. And uh, I'm not against people making money, but I don't like them taking it out of my hide. Yeah. So, for all those carriers out there who listen to our podcast, you, you may <laughs> do the right us. thing. Do the right thing, because you know you're the only ones that think this. Um, you know, I have not seen a groundswell movement of people saying yes, right? Reg- you know, no regulation for you know. I mean, certainly there are people that don't want regulation of any kind anywhere by the government. So we'll put those people in that class of folks who just that's the way they believe, and that's fine for them. But you don't see people taking to the streets saying, yes, fast lanes for people willing to pay for it and slow lanes for the rest of us. That's what I want. So, yeah, it's the kind of thing that I think most everybody wants. We're just waiting for it to happen. We must go through this kabuki in Washington, as usual. And, uh, and that's my rant from the soapbox. And uh, do you have a rant of your own? Um, no, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. So my partner, Mellow Susie, is good. um, (laughs) Everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. It's so true. As they say in that movie. They do. And and, uh, now that I've gotten that off my chest, I'm awesome as well. So let's just be done. So this uh, episode of the Macworld Podcast was brought to you by Harry's, a great shave at an affordable price, and Zero Beautiful Accounting Software. If you have any questions or complaints about my rant in particular, you may contact us at podcast at macworld.com. Otherwise, thanks very much for listening, and we will talk with you next week.